Welcome to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I am Joey Gentili, and not with us today is my dear co-host, Brendan Stanwyck. Uh, Brendan just uh, is in the middle of a move to Baltimore, which is very sad for, uh, for me here in Cleveland, but he will still be a part of the podcast in future episodes. But in between seasons, uh, we have been giving you some bonus episodes, so I had something very special prepared for today. Um, we all know the good THR roundtables, right? Well, I wanted to get a roundtable put together of some of the biggest voices on film Twitter and with film critics right now. And without further ado, I present the Academy Queen's first ever film critics, film Twitter critics roundtable. Uh, I'm Jim Lalka, the co-host of the Whiskey Congress podcast. Uh, the Whiskey Congress studio is home to the Academy Queens as well. Um, I'd like to welcome everyone here. Um, this is, as Joey said, a, a Twitter roundtable. Um, and before, let's just get going. So I'd like to first uh, welcome uh, Andrew Carton of the Awards Connection of theawardsconnection.com, Cody Derricks of the Halloweeners, which is a horror movie podcast that I'm now curious about, Matt Neglia of the Next Best Picture, uh, Kevin Jacobson of the Gold Derby, and Joey Gentili of the Academy Queens podcast. So, welcome everybody. Hello. And as Hello. I, Hello, hi. And as I said, we're going to dive right Hello. in. So, the first question, I'm, I'm going to start with you, Cody. So, the first question, we'll go around this, is, uh, with, to everyone with this, is, uh, what movie was one movie that made you fall in love with film? Oh, boy. Okay, hi, this is Cody. Hello. It's me. One movie. Okay. When I was seven, my absolute favorite movie of all time became Strangers on a Train, the Hitchcock movie that's, you know, a hit with all elementary school kids. Right. And it was really the first movie to make me feel like I, there was something out there bigger than, you know, just general Disney storytelling. There was intrigue and mystery and really cool filmmaking techniques. I, I still go back to that movie as like an, an origin point for me. That's very interesting for a seven-year-old. Uh, how about you, Andrew? God, uh, there are so many, but, you know, growing up, I think the movie I probably watched more than anything else was Grease. And, <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, it at once made me fall in love with movie musicals, but also, you know, the scene-stealing, wise-cracking, sassy supporting actresses in the vein of Stockard Canning, who I think pretty much walks away with the film but um it was just so colorful and vibrant and it was the first movie that i think i would you know dance along to and sing along to in front of the tv uh my mom and (laughs) um i don't know it was just that was definitely a movie that was rented often and always brought me joy even though i honestly don't watch it that much okay uh, Matt, you want to throw your uh, your thoughts in? Yeah, I'm sorry. What's the question again? The movie we've seen the most? No, what uh, what movie uh, made you fall in love with film? Ah, oh, man. Well, like most people, I grew up watching stuff that, you know, kids typically watch. So I would watch, you know, Disney movies or I'd watch, you know, Batman. And for the record, we're talking Val Kilmer, George Clooney, Batman over here. Um, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of things before I turned 10 that I watched, like Jurassic Park and things of that nature but then when I turned 11 years old the movie that made me fall in love with movies 
and understand that there is a process, there is a filmmaking process that goes into making something that brings enjoyment, enlightenment, or discourse uh, nowadays, whatever it might be, it was the Lord of the Rings movie trilogy for me. And I found out kind of later on that for my generation, it was really, when you think about uh, the influence that that trilogy has had on an entire generation, it was like my generation's Star Wars to a certain extent, getting people to fall in love with movies due to the escapism, the uh, fantastical elements, the magic, and not just within the genre, but also in the craft of movie making. Very good. And Kevin? Yeah, so, um, like, like Matt was kind of saying, definitely kind of the Disney movie and all of that was certainly my beginning, beginning, but really what made me fall in love with the idea of film, just the filmmaking process and a director's vision is actually a movie that came out the year I was born that I saw a few years later, obviously, but it was uh, Edward Scissorhands, actually. Okay. The films of Tim Burton um, really kind of cemented for me the idea of just film as just this visual medium and with this director's vision, um, and I would just kind of obsessively try to see all the Tim Burton movies, and it really kind of led me to go down the deep rabbit hole of trying to watch everything and just figure out the process of how Tim Burton did what he did and all of that kind of led to other directors that I followed and then Oscars and it all just kind of snowballed from there for me. Very interesting. All right, Joey, you, your turn. Yeah. Uh, mine's a little silly, but mine's also in like a two, two step process here. Um, I fell in love with horror at a very, very young age. Um, like for an example, I remember the first horror movie that I saw was Scream. I was four when it came out. Um, but I probably was eight years old when I saw Halloween five, the revenge of Michael Myers and little Danielle. Oh, that one's good. Yeah. And little Danielle Harris is running from the boogeyman. And I was probably around her age. I mean, she's older than I am, but her age when I saw it, that she would have been in the film. And I was like, oh, she's a kid. I'm a kid. I could do that. And um, so that was my like initial falling in love with film. But the film process, again, as a kid, the magic of it, everything from lighting to scripts, I got at a very young age from The Goonies. Um, so I, it was, yeah, definitely a mixture of Halloween 5 and The Goonies that really cemented my love for film, which probably is also the reason till today that Halloween 5 is my favorite of the series, just because it's like that nostalgia factor for me, <laughs> Sure, which does get a lot of shit, but I'm used to having a minority opinion on most films. So, um, yeah, I would say Halloween 5 and The Goonies. There we go. Even though it's supposed to be one, you cheated a little bit. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah, allow it I, know, I know. It's your show. Um, <laughs> so we live in an age when, um, media is so accessible to people and, you know, millions of people in seconds, um, Again, going around, I'll start with you, Cody. Why did you choose the current platform that you're on? And is, is, is your way of getting your voice out there? Uh, do you mean in terms of, like, Twitter or podcasting or just podcasting. anything in general? Podcasting. Podcasting, okay. Um, well, uh, I got into podcasting because I like listening to podcasts. And I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I could do that. <laughs> I could do what they're doing. And... You know, it started out with a lot of trepidation, and I'm sure a lot of people with podcasts can relate to, you know, there's a lot of hesitation about, oh, do I need a good microphone, or, like, how am I going to upload this, or is it making a listen? And my friend Kira and I, we just started by recording on her 
freaking phone. I mean, like, you just start. If you just jump into the water feet first, I mean, everything will just come after it. And it's great. I mean, like, I, I express myself best through my mouth. Uh, that, that's a bad sentence. That's, that's, <laughs> winner, winner. <laughs> you know what I mean. Go on. Yeah. That could, that could be a sound bite that comes back to haunt you, but... <laughs> You know, that's uh, fine. <laughs> Put that in my campaign slogan. Um, I enjoy talking rather than writing generally because it's an easier way to kind of just form your thoughts in real time, and I think that's a much more genuine uh, way to express yourself, especially when you're talking about something as mellifluous and fluid as film. I think it's a, a really uh, perfect format for that. I would agree. How about you, Andrew? So um, my journey into um, not podcasting, but writing on film um, actually started at an Olive Garden in Massachusetts in, uh, it was the spring of 2016, and I was so enraged about politics and what was going on in the world um, that I just had to... uh, uh, turned my energies to something more positive, and I ended up opening a Twitter account and, you know, just, you know, talking about vintage Oscar stuff, which is, you know, definitely my forte um, on the web. And then, you know, I got drawn into, you know, writing for Gold Derby, um, got some invitations to be on some podcasts here and there. Uh, I was on uh, Matt Neglia's uh, program pretty pretty early on, and that was certainly a great honor and you know i've been on the podcast here and there ever since and you know most of my contributions these days are you know simply on twitter putting up polls just reflecting back on past oscar races but for me you know film twitter and social media etc really started as kind of a you know a way to turn my back to the rest of the world and all of the insanity and i think it's kept me you know much more sane in recent years to be able to meet all these awesome people online who share my interests and gab about, you know, old best supporting actor races and whatnot and being able to write and blog. I mean, it's just been awesome. And there's such a, an amazing community out there on Twitter and, you know, elsewhere. And I think it's just fabulous that we've all, you know, been able to connect on this stuff. Fantastic. Um, Matt, your, what made you choose your platform? Wow. Uh, so I have a long version of this and a short version of this, and I'm going to give you the short version. <laughs> Ultimately, I was completely disconnected uh, from the world. I was actually in a very dark place. I didn't know where I was going in life. I didn't know... I didn't know anything, really. Um, I was, you know, kind of out of college and was just, you know, partying a little too hard, getting in trouble a little too much, and I was really directionless. I didn't really have, I guess you could say, like a life's purpose. And I always would write about movies, uh, maybe like on Facebook or, you know, something like that. I actually would write papers that I still have to this day uh they were like my original reviews. I had them saved on my uh... Did we lose you there, Matt? Hello? Alright, we're I'm on... still here. <laughs> All right. 
Yeah, I think we lost them. All right. Well, then let's move on to Kevin, and hopefully we can get him back. Hold on, hold on. Let's take a second here. Let me try to get him back in really quick. Hold oh, on. Okay. We're now we're we're gonna pause for a second here. This. Yeah, you can hear me fine. Yes. Perfect. So you were saying you were in a dark place and kind of looking for direction, and yeah, and I would, I was in a dark place. I was directionless. I really had no like purpose, really, and I ended up uh, kind of like realizing to myself, I love listening to podcasts. I love listening to people talk about movies. I love talking about movies. I have nobody in my life to talk to about movies. No friends. No family. Like, nobody shared my enthusiasm for movies as much as I did. And I was always trying to get my friends into movies, but they were casual watchers, you know? So I just started going online onto social media platforms and just started randomly posting about my thoughts on movies. And I ended up becoming friends with uh, great people over at Incession Film very early on, uh, JD and Brendan, who... To this day, I give them all the credit in the world. They taught me literally almost everything that I know in terms of setting up a podcast, uh, what goes into making a website, and really gave me a foundation to be able to create a platform where, to this day, the very goal of that platform is to invite people on to express and have that outlet because I just think back to that time where I needed this. Like, I, I, if I didn't get this, if I didn't find this, I literally do not know where I would be today. And I can tell you right now, um, it would not be something better. It would be something much, much worse, probably. So in many ways, this really saved my life. Wow. Okay. Holy shit. Yeah. I think we got a little deep, but I thank you for Solid, sharing that. Man. And uh, Kevin, why did you choose your platform? And that was a short version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's quite a story. But um, so I was kind of in a similar place as far as not knowing where to go with my own life and especially kind of in college but then I found uh, my campus newspaper and became a writer there writing movie reviews that was really fun kind of a dream to kind of do that as an extracurricular thing and then I really kind of got involved with the paper more got in the assistant editor position got to the arts and entertainment editor position and then by my senior year worked my way up to managing editor and that was a really kind of exciting and interesting glimpse almost into the real world as far as dealing with uh, hard news as well as entertainment news um, kind of transitioned into the real world and got involved in a entertainment news site that no longer exists <laughs> um, but I kind of used that to bounce over to Gold Derby which I had always been kind of obsessing over and kind of watching all the videos and reading the stuff going in the forums and also kind of being in the world of awards pundits in particular like Mark Harris and Sasha Stout and Tabo O'Neill and Chris Tapley those kinds of people um, and so then I got to writing on the site and it's been really great so far i've been there for two years and i love what i do there and i'm starting to interview people and it's really kind of living the dream as far as what i want to be doing right now in my life which is great um also i started this podcast and the runner-up is because i really wanted kind of an outlet to talk about the oscars uh in a way that was a different angle than just talking about like 
these were the winners. Here's reviews of all the winners or, you know, doing like current Oscar coverage. I, I really like the history and kind of the winners and especially the losers, like the ones that got really close but didn't end up getting there but are still classics that we hold up sometimes even more than the winners themselves. And so that's kind of the impetus of that. And also I just wanted to kind of get the excuse to be able to talk to all these different people who I admire, who I've met on film Twitter and who I've looked up to over the years, including literally all the people on this call right now. So yeah. Fantastic. Pretty fun. Joey. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny that um, this is happening right now as our, as for Academy Queens, our 1985 episode just dropped. So I gave a little bit of that in that episode of how we got started, um, which was because of two people on this call, which is Andrew and uh, Kevin. Um, but no, I mean, I I worked at Blockbuster when I was 18, throwing, you know, throwing it back there a little bit. And uh, so, no, you know, I was always around film. I always liked film in general, though, because I don't know about you guys, but... You know, there was either drama people or there were sports people. They never seemed to, like, mesh, like, in high school. And I was definitely on the drama side. Like, I'm terrible at sports. I never understood it. I can't do that. But, you know, I could name off ten nominees of whatever year. Um, so I had started writing for this uh, website that's no longer around back then called Thoughts.com. And... They went under, and then eventually it was like, well, how do I get to a platform, yada, yada, yada. And I just happened to be looking at some film, I think it was like E or something, that was dealing with a movie review, and I found Andrew through it. Um, He had commented on it, and all of a sudden I found this whole new world a little bit over a year ago called Film Twitter. And it was just like all these different people who had the same like thoughts and had the same or, or had different thoughts, but loved the same thing. And so I had always had this idea of doing a podcast, but I wanted to make sure it was with someone who loved it just as much. And, you know, I used to live in L.A. and it's a big industry town and it's all about movies and stuff. So trying to find someone in Cleveland was a little harder. And it was actually due to, I think, yeah, it was Kevin's episode dealing with the color purple. Um I, I do believe that was it, where uh, Andrew had said, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Andrew had said something about Margaret Avery, and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. Margaret Avery should have won that Oscar, and then Brandon chimed right under me, like, holy shit, I just found someone who also thinks Margaret Avery should have won, and so I checked out his Twitter, and he ended up being from Cleveland, and I was like, there it is, I found it, so I pitched him this idea, we got together two weeks later, that was November of last year, and then January of this year, we started here in the studio, and... We thought maybe like five people would listen to it, and then it was like a big success for us, um, listen-wise. So, I mean, that's how I got started, and it was just an easier way to get our voices out there and meet other people, and it was a good time. Excellent. All right, so the next question I'm going to hit uh, in the same order, but then I'd like everyone to give a, a real quick, you know, one sentence or, or so answer, and then open it up for discussion, because uh, the next question is, what do you think is the biggest negative of film Twitter? So, starting with you, Cody. What, what do I think is a negative about film Twitter? Is the, that the, the, the biggest negative of film Twitter, yes. Oh, the biggest negative. Okay. Um, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> we were um, just talking I, about this earlier. <laughs> uh, yes, that's true. Um, I think, uh, how do I put that nicely or not nicely? Um, I, I, I think there <laughs> is a, <laughs> a tendency to paint with 
as big a brush as possible, whether because of the brevity of Twitter's uh, format or because that gets the bigger response. I don't know. But I think that kind of loses something in the uh, discussion of film. Andrew? Well, it's tough. You know, I've, I've had to mute several people. Um, I do think that there is often, you know, a, uh, let's say, some folks who don't like to have a discussion, kind of a my way or the highway mentality among certain folks. Um, you're wrong. I'm right. Um, no interest in, like, debate or anything like that. Um, I do think that there is kind of a nastiness that on occasion seeps through. I think that the vast majority of folks in the whole film Twitter world, and especially in like our little community, are fabulous. But on occasion, you know, I mean, there are some big personalities out there, and sometimes instead of turning attention to the films at the award season, they perhaps like to um, shine the spotlight on themselves. Um, so, I mean, I think there is certainly some of that, which is to be expected on social media, but. Um, for the most part, I think that, you know, our little community is pretty wonderful and that the tone for the most part is great, but especially as Oscar season heats up, there can be a kind of combative tone that arises and often it's kind of a suspect to uh, instigate it. All right, Matt? Oh, boy. Um so I used to get really bent out of shape by this stuff, and I used to let it get to me. And there came a point where, just like with the Oscars, where I had to kind of reconcile that, okay, your favorites are not going to win. You need to stop rooting for your favorites, and you need to just take emotion out of it completely and just look at it from an objective viewpoint. Um, I can tell you that I strive for that objectivity as much as humanly possible um, in predicting the Oscars and analyzing film. And yes, with my interactions with people on Twitter, um, I'm not perfect. Nobody is perfect. Every now and then a negative tweet from me will come through. Um, and believe me when I tell you, I try to avoid it at all costs. I actually actively avoid discussions with people, um, people who ask me questions sometimes that I feel might lead to something negative because I don't think Twitter is the place to have a debate. I think this forum uh, where we're talking out loud or on a podcast, I think that is the place to really engage in back and forth conversation. You can put your take out there and, you know, maybe there can be a little bit of a back and forth. But if, it, if it's going to be like this long thing where ultimately it's not like one of us are going to immediately have an aha moment. Oh, my God, you are so right. I, you know. I was so wrong, and I'm going to pat you on the back. Like, sometimes that does happen, but most of the time it's like you get into it, and it's meaningless. And it takes up so much of your energy, so much of your emotion. And I'm at a point in my life now where I'm just all about good vibes. And I just want to keep having good vibes, mostly because I want to avoid a heart attack. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that to me is, like, the goal now when I'm, like, on film Twitter. It's a necessary evil. Um, and, yes, yeah, Andrew's point our community, I think, is pretty awesome. And I love our community so much. There are days where uh, the film Twitter community, I, I feel so, so grateful to be a part of it. And then there are days where I'm seeing them 
like talk about Martin Scorsese and Thelma's uh, Spoonmaker, and I'm just like, what are we doing right now? Like, seriously, what <laughs> are we doing? Like, I get that you're angry at something in life, but to translate that over into other people or when people try to knock stuff down in order to elevate their pony or their pick of a movie or whatever it is up, I don't see the positive in that. I, I, I think that it's a very toxic way to go about things. Yeah. Okay. Kevin, I agree with that. Kevin, your thoughts? Yeah, I do. I kind of echo what everyone has been saying. There's, there's been a lot of like negativity about film Twitter, and specifically people on film Twitter talking about how film Twitter sucks, which is a little bit ironic. But uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of egos, and a lot of people take things very, very personally and very seriously in a way that is not really very conducive to discussion and it becomes like this team sport sort of thing almost and people really do like to paint large groups of people with a very big brush about the, the kinds of movies they like and really a lot of generalization that is just not very healthy and also you know it, it ultimately kind of just becomes this echo chamber where everyone is just kind of bouncing off each other and piling on and it just gets very ugly after a while but again yes there are a lot of really good pockets of film twitter like this one in particular that i do very much value the friendships that i've made and so it's it's good and bad and i think that's true of pretty much every kind of twitter out there to be honest case in point if you like a green book you're not a bad person (laughs) as film twitter would would make you believe right it's like right yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. If I can bounce off something Matt said, this is Cody, by the way. Yeah. I, I think, um, I, I get your point about staying objective and keeping the passion out of it. At the same time, I like to kind of keep a little bit of passion in it, if that makes sense. Um, because otherwise, it's like, why are we doing this? You know what I mean? And uh, to be a, somebody who follows the Oscars in particular, you have to be, you know, at peace with the fact that you're in a very niche interest. Because it's not just liking film, you're liking the awards presented to film. It's like a step away from just film in general. And I I think passion is what brings us all to film Twitter. But I do get what you mean about, like, not taking it personally is, I think, um, what I would say about it. Joey, do you want to chime in and... Yeah, I mean, I, I I think I'm right with saying here that I'm still the most, like, Brandon and I are still the most, like, freshmen of the group here, right? Like, when it comes to film Twitter? Because, uh, I mean, Brandon I and I... joined it about a year ago, kind of, so I'm, I'm kind of with you. Well, like, so Brandon and I started the... Still t- new in some circles. <laughs> so Brandon and I started, you know, the Twitter for it to get its, you know, steam going, I think in early February, and then we didn't premiere until late March. So, yeah, I think out of at least this group here. Um, so I'm still, like, dealing with my freshman 15 or freshman 30, whatever the hell it's called. And... Uh, so as someone new and in this world, I would say like the biggest downside to film Twitter is text in general, because you never understand the tone of someone's text. Um, I mean, I'll just use it as an example because it literally just happened. Now, my, by, by the way, if you listen to my show, you know I'm, I'm a bitch You will drop a name, but I, I'm not going to do this in this scenario because I was asked not to. Um, but I had done someone's podcast and they didn't really appreciate how I came off through my text. So after the pod after the episode was on um 
And so I noticed that my personal page was blocked from them, but the Academy Queens page wasn't, and it was because of Brandon. And so I had messaged them, and I was like, hey, what's going on? And they had, like, this issue about they didn't think the way that I talked in Twitter was very appropriate, and they didn't appreciate how I came off. And I was like, well, here's the issue. I was like, for me, text sucks all around because, again, you never know the tone. Um, but there's a big difference between me putting up a meme with a thumbs down if I don't agree with you or just saying your pick fucking sucks. You know what I mean? Um, I'm also a very big personality. I know I'm ridiculous. Like that's why Brandon and I work so well because he's the yin to my yang. You know what I mean? So it, 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 it's, it's funny to me how we can all love the same thing, but there are moments where I see, I'm going to say us as a film Twitter as whole, as a whole, where we are at each other's throats because someone is coming off cocky or too upset. I mean, I'll even say the episode that I did with Kevin um, on Academy Queens, you know, one of the biggest things that about me is that like, you know, I can't stand Glenn Close and he loves Glenn Close. Oh, Lord. But you know what I mean? Like, it's, oh, yeah. it's just something like, you know, I wasn't like, Kevin, you're wrong. You're stupid. Fuck you for like, you know what I mean? And he wasn't the same way. It, yeah, it was a yeah. great way to juggle back and forth. So I think the biggest yeah. thing that sucks about film Twitter, again, is just the text because you never know the tone of what is coming off from somebody. In the long run, I'm just like, let's have fun. I'm not here to change your mind. You're not here to change mine. Let's have a discussion and, you know, let's reach over the aisle as they say in politics. Yeah, I would say... T- you um, you uh, mentioned to me that there's been recently some controversy in film Twitter. Uh, in particular... Um, Academy Award nominee Quinn Cummings uh, calling out uh, Thelma Shoemaker, who's the editor of, for Martin Scorsese Films. What are your thoughts on that? Let's let's just open this up to a discussion if we can. Well, I'm going to start off with that one if that's cool, guys. Um, I have known... Okay, so I, I haven't, like, quote-unquote, met Quinn, but Quinn and I have been in contact for many years now. So, like, her and I have talked about many of things. Um, Quinn, obviously, is a... Oscar-nominated child actor. She didn't do a whole lot of acting after that. She, you know, she was an inventor. She got into stand-up comedy. She wrote books. And now she is, like, a big voice on Twitter, believe it or not. Um, I think it all goes back to the idea of what I just said, where there's a difference between putting a thumbs-down meme and just saying, you suck. And her comment, which, guys, correct me if I'm wrong here, was what, the Thelma didn't have enough gravitas and Marty needed to get a new editor because his films feel like they've been lagging? Am I wrong with that? There was a specific uh, something about, about the uh, there was end like, of the movies. Yeah, well, she said like, there was too many acts, like too many acts. Right. <laughs> right. So like my my thing is my thing is is that you know she's an academy member, she votes. I'm sure she knows that Thelma has three Oscars compared to her one nomination. Like people, you know what I mean? I'm just like I think there's always a way to get your point across, but I don't know. Also, maybe I shouldn't be the one talking because I'll say something like, I can't stand what this person does. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I I just thought it was kind of funny, but people took this really serious. Yeah, I was kind of with you, Joey. I thought it was kind of weirdly amusing. I was luckily at work when it all happened, so I saw the aftermath, and I kind of just threw my hands up, you know, like, oh, classic, what are we doing here? Now, today's today's target is this. Okay, so it didn't really feel like anything out of the ordinary, unfortunately, is what I'm used to on Twitter in general. It just kind of felt like the day's 
hot topic, and I, I just found it kind of generally uh, amusing at best, uh, annoying at worst. Anyone else want to chime in on this? I think what's, I think what's really disheartening is that they, it seems like the news cycle, when it's slow, will put up a takedown piece or put up something that is going to provoke people into giving them clicks and creating an online discussion. When I, I and I understand, I understand like the news cycle, and I get, I get why this happens. Um, I, I would like to think, and I, I'm pretty positive on this, that we are uh, on this panel and many others that are probably listening uh, to us right now. Uh, that I think we're above that. Um, but I can understand if you're like a large corporation and you need to get, you know, traffic to the site for whatever reason, and there's nothing going on. All right, we're going to link to this and we're going to have a baby headline and people are going to, you know, of course not click and read the whole thing and they're all going to just go off because uh, that's what film Twitter does. Mm-hmm. And it creates this, you know, crazy tornado uh, that gets out of control and sucks and blows away everything along with it. And next thing you know, to Cody's point, you can either get lost in it or you can just, you know, take a step back and ask questions like, what, what are we doing here? And that's like what I've started to do now is I've stopped putting, um, I, I, I put my opinion out there on the movies. But when it comes to like people's personal lives and like, you know, things of that nature, I, I, I ask more questions than I do uh, put a statement out there uh, because I'm more interested in understanding why this discourse keeps happening and why people behave the way that they do and why they keep going after people for what seems like a very trivial reason. Um, That actually, it it disheartens me, but at the same time, I'm fascinated by it because I, I feel that it's almost, I don't want to say inhuman, but it just feels counterproductive to our nature, <laughs> you know? Agreed. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I do think there's a tendency to uh, go for the hot takes on Twitter. I think, you know, they really obviously rile people up and they cause a discussion. And a lot of it actually I've noticed over the years is just like questioning the established figures that people just love like Spielberg or Scorsese or Tarantino or Fincher or Dolan or you know all the kind of quote unquote film broke types of uh, uh, artists and uh, it's really kind of toxic the way that the discussion can lead because I feel like it's just everyone just yelling at each other kind of going back to our further point about film Twitter Uh, (laughs) but the, the Quinn Cummings thing I just thought was kind of hilarious just in the randomness of it all. Right. <laughs> <For me. laughs> um, just like, okay, the, the actress from the little girl from the Goodbye Girl, who is an Academy Award nominee. I do get your point, Joey, as you tweeted at me. <laughs> but, no, um, I mean, it, yeah, it's... The fact that she's going after <laughs> Thomas is like, oh, did not have that on my Twitter bingo card today. Okay. Right. It felt like really. It was ridiculous. You know, and it's yeah. funny, too. I mentioned, like, again, I, there's a reason why I mentioned that I do know hers because that the way I imagined Quinn saying that was just like being just a smart ass honestly I don't think it was like what is it malicious 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 I'll take malicious for 400 Alex um I don't think it was being malicious I think it was just Quinn being Quinn 
And I can also guarantee you, too, that Quinn Cummings knows that that is the biggest story that Quinn Cummings is going to be in in the, in the last year for a headline. So trust me, like, you know, it is what it is. And I can guarantee 11 out of 10 people who have seen Raging Bull know that Thelma's editing is fucking masterclass. Like, that alone speaks for how great she is, that one film not even like going into the other ones. So trust and believe I don't think he was out of a hateful tweet. That's just my opinion. Okay. And lucky for Quinn, Faye Dunaway was waiting in the wings. Oh, Faye Dunaway, yeah. Yeah, Andrew, you should speak to this because you saw her. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Andrew, you did see her. Are we talking about Faye Dunaway now? Yeah, bring it up. We did it. (laughs) Well, I will say, in terms of, well, on the subject of Faye Dunaway, I think that a lot of the film Twitter discourse around Faye Dunaway has been a little on the unseemly side because I'm honestly convinced that there's some like legitimate mental health issues there and everybody is basically using Faye Dunaway as a pinata right now and to me that's been um, rather disheartening. Um, I mean I can certainly speak to Faye Dunaway's performance if anybody is interested in that but I do think that Faye Dunaway um, is another example of film Twitter as kind of uglier side Um, as much as I've poked a little bit of fun at um, for firing, I think that the information that's come out since has honestly left me more sad than giggling at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, is anybody interested in hearing about her performance in TF5 or is that not part of the discussion? Well, yeah, I'm actually interested because the New York Post mentioned that, you know, with her performance, a lot of it was coming through what seemed to be an earpiece and she was fed her lines. I mean, did you get that while watching it? Yeah, so I saw, I guess I saw either the fourth or fifth performance. So it was still, I guess, in its preview period before opening. And she was she was stumbling over her line. She, she really was. Um, she was so charming and really had such a fabulous stage presence. And she, like, legit killed in some of the scenes when uh, Kate Hepburn's talking about her brother who committed suicide. It's honestly some of the best acting I have ever seen Faye Dunaway do. I mean, she was brilliant. The problem is, is that she really just wasn't the least bit convincing as Kate Hepburn. She didn't even really bother to do the, the tremble or the voice. She was really honestly rang more of Faye Dunaway than she did Kate Hepburn. And the play is really, it's, it's a trifle. And it just, it feels kind of just like a Wikipedia Wikipedia page entry oh, no. of Kate Hepburn on stage. It's not terribly enlightening unless you've like never heard of Kate Hepburn before. Mm-hmm. But I mean, honestly, I mean, <laughs> I feel the same way that people who saw Carrie the musical must have felt when it was announced that it was closing immediately. I mean, I'll always have, <laughs> I can always say that I saw Faye Dunaway play Kate Hepburn before she was fired. And honestly, I, I I enjoyed her, and I think that in I really wish that she had a different vehicle. I feel like if she could have just been more of herself and perhaps did a drama or something as opposed to this Kate Hepburn sitcom, I think she really would have succeeded much more as opposed to this play, which just didn't really give her. It's just not a very strong play, but she really impressed me despite. Um, not really knowing her lines that well. Okay. 
Kudos. All right. Um, so earlier we talked about what fi- what uh, film made you fall in love with with uh, films. Uh, going around the around the horn again, starting with you, Cody. Name your three favorite films of all time. Oh boy. Okay. So I'm staring at a poster of her right now. My number one of all time is, and probably always will be, the original non-Spielberg West Side Story. Um, and then after that, I don't know, dude. Um, I I kind of generally point to. Sim- very, very similar to what Matt said, the um, Lord of the Rings trilogy as one movie was something that kind of kicked me into both an adulthood of film loving and also the awards in general, because, I mean, what better way to get into the awards than watching that movie just across three years, just rack up trophies in the craziest way. And then after that, I don't know. Oof, oh boy. Um, this is not in my top three, for sure, but um, in terms of... Uh, horror movies, which is my biggest love, I have to either go with uh, Halloween or The Exorcist are two of my absolute favorites in my favorite genre. So uh, that, that's four movies. It actually maybe it's more like seven. If you really want to <laughs> but that's, those are the kind of the ones I go back to generally, but West Side Story is definitely my number one. All right. And go ahead and sneak in some extra ones in there. Well, well done. Uh, Andrew, your three. Um, so it's going to sound kind of odd because these three films are all within, I think, three years of each other, three or four years. But I would say my top three are probably Tootsie, oh, which yes. I honestly, I think I watched it when I was probably five or six, and I was even like eating it up completely then. And I watch at least annually now. And I would also say Ordinary People, which is yeah. my all-time favorite Best Picture winner. And I, this won't go over terribly well with much of film Twitter, uh, but I would say Manhattan is up there as well. Okay, there we you go. You don't have to say that, by the way. You like Manhattan, that is awesome. Right. Let's just leave it at that, you know? <laughs> no, no apologies, man. <laughs> Screw with film Twitter things. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing, though, you know. I mean, I could, I mean, I know that, you know, when I've reflected back on Best Supporting Actress wins, then I've given many uh, victories to Woody Allen women, and the response hasn't always been terribly positive. Um, so I, I, I have to admit, I've definitely hesitated to say positive things, for instance, about Woody Allen cinema on film Twitter. And I'm sure that it's the case, you know, with other um, folks, you know, perhaps don't want to mention their admiration for other artists. So I think that's definitely another film Twitter thing, you know, where you don't want to, you perhaps want to hold back your opinion on artists who are going to perhaps create a rather contentious Twitter conversation. Yeah, I want to bounce in really quick if I can on that, because that actually just kind of hit the news cycle a couple weeks ago. If you guys remember, Judy Dench made some comments and got some shit for it about still enjoying the the person who did the crime like their art you know i hear i hear andrew say i'm sorry and then you know manhattan and i'm just like you know i'm not a big woody allen fan in general when it comes to his films like i really only like one of them but like you don't hear people saying i'm sorry but i love roman polanski's rosemary's baby because even though we know what roman polanski did people love rosemary's baby and so it almost makes me wonder if Judy wasn't wrong there. Like, why are we punishing the art piece 
from the artist and not separating the two. I mean, would you guys agree to that? I think what it is is like, I, I think what it is is you need to be comfortable enough to, when someone does get upset by it, um, and they're like, I, I, I just can't do that. I can't allow myself to enjoy uh, that person's movies anymore or their past performances or whatever it is. We need to be respectful and comfortable enough to say that's okay. Mm-hmm. And not then try to say, but hold on a minute, you know, there's this argument here about separating. And, you know, if you can look at it this way, that's just us trying to get people to come to our side of liking something, which is something we all do all the time. Uh, we want people to be on our side because we want to feel like we're, we want to feel like we're correct, you know, in our taste. Um, but I think that it goes both ways too, where, if somebody then says, you know what, I really, really like this uh, because I am judging it as a piece of art. I'm not judging the human being. I'm judging what was put up on the screen. And what's put up on the screen is a character. It's not a documentary. Right. You know what I mean? And so I think we also need to be able to have the same uh, ability to say respectfully and calmly, okay, if you disagree. I agree. And, and that's it. That is it, you know. If we can do that for both scenarios, the world would be so much better. But instead, we're always fighting, you know, or or giving into these impulses to challenge people all the time on their beliefs. Agreed, uh, Matt. You want to chime in with your uh, top three? Top three. Oh man. Um, well, this might be pretty easy. Uh, number one is Lord of the Rings. Um, that's a no-brainer. And it's one movie to make, so that's another no-brainer. Number two is Apocalypse Now, oh, which shit. to this day, I watch it every time, and I constantly say to myself, I don't know how they made this movie. It boggles my mind that Francis Ford Coppola was able to get these uh, setups, was able to coordinate, like, all these people. <laughs> like, it just, like flabbergasts me because nowadays so much of it you can do with CGI and such and like looking at back then how everything was done practically for real in camera it's just like this is why I have such respect for like when Christopher Nolan makes something like Dunkirk now and I'm just like which Garden you you and I were on that podcast together (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know and and it's like I just have so much respect for somebody that captures uh, stuff in camera for real because of the level of difficulty that goes into that uh, my third favorite, you know, this changes. Th- those those top two are always there, and those don't ever really move. But um, the third one, you know, and everything else really my top ten can kind of just come and go depending on the day. I would say because it's relevant right now and I'm feeling very passionate about it more so than ever, I'll say uh, The Lion King. Okay. Okay. Very nice. And, Kevin, you want to give your, your three? Well, my number one is actually uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Woo! which I know Matt is also a fan <laughs> of because we actually talked about fan. it on my episode. Yeah, <laughs> just love that movie from start to finish. It just has all of the elements for me that make me love film, from the quirkiness to the mix of comedy and drama to making you feel about your own life and your own relationships and what you would do in this situation. So, love that. 
I mean, it's a little bit of a standard choice, but I would say Casablanca is right up there as pretty much a perfect movie. Agreed. And the perfect screenplay. Um, and then just, I mean, I guess for my own personal uh, growth, I would just go back to Edward Scissorhands, just as, once again, the movie that started things off for me as just this artistic vision realized on screen. Joey, your three? Um... I've been very vocal about my favorite for in a couple episodes of my show. Uh, by far, for me, like favorite movies are movies that I can go back to and watch it again and again and be bored. So the first one definitely would be The Deer Hunter. Um, I think that's by far my favorite film of all time. Just the character development, the character studies, um, what happens pre, during, and post-war I think is just fascinating. Um, number two would probably be John Cassavetti's Faces. Um, I just think it's a beautifully made movie on a budget of floss. I think it's fantastic. Um, honestly, and <laughs> I know I'm kind of breaking the rules here again, but fuck it, it's a tie. I would put it either between 1974's Black Christmas or Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life. Um, all of those films I can watch numerous times over and over, never get bored, and I always find something new. So those are my top three slash four. <laughs> Um, thank you, everyone, for cheating at the, at the <laughs> Um And if no one had said Casablanca, I would have been very upset. Uh, I agree it's one of the best uh, scripts ever written. Actually, I'm really curious, Jim, just because we're talking about it. Name your three. Silence of the Lambs, Casablanca, Jaws. Okay. Off the top of my head. <laughs> um, all right, so again, starting uh, starting around the table. Um, Cody, if uh, if you had one goal you could accomplish in, in, in TV or film, what is your... What is your um, the goal that you most hope to achieve? If I had one goal in TV film I could accomplish? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> I am actually an actor, so I guess it would be that. <laughs> but if we're talking um, non, you know, humongous dreams, I really love writing for film. And I think um, any sort of capacity that would allow me to do that um, in a professional or even just a, a semi-professional way we do now is enjoyable in its own way. I mean, anything involving that is what I want to be doing for sure. Okay. Andrew? Well, you know, when I was growing up, I really wanted to be a screenwriter, actually, and I would write um, kind of mini-movies uh, with my brother, and we recently actually looked back at some of them, and uh, they're not the greatest, although they're fun. Um, yeah, I think that someday actually coming out with a screenplay, finishing a full one, and somehow getting it produced somewhere would be, you know, absolutely amazing. And um, I'll have to look back because there was one screenplay that I wrote, as in like 10 pages of a script, and I had uh, Maggie Smith and Julie Walters. <laughs> and they played uh, cannibals on the run uh, from the UK. And they come to the United States and they move to Vermont and they opened up a, a cafe and they become the toast of the town. Everybody adores them because they're so charming. And they open up, they have this great restaurant and they kind of hold themselves back from their cannibalism for a while, but eventually they just can't help themselves. And it's kind of a horror comedy, and there's a detective on the scene and the nosy neighbor who catches them. And I think that if I ever um, did a screenplay, I might go back to that one and try to actually 
um, expand and finish it. Outstanding answer. I love that. <laughs> Matt, what would you be your... Please <laughs> share that. Matt, if you could accomplish one thing uh, related to uh, uh, film or t television, what would it be? To be honest, and this is going to sound... I don't know if this will sound like a lame answer or nothing like that, but um, I've achieved everything I've ever wanted to achieve. And I love that. I can't tell you... I, I, really, I really can't tell you how much joy uh, my podcast and my website brings me on a daily basis. Um, when you have people telling you, um, you know, thank you uh, for giving them their first film festival experience or just even the opportunity to be able to just, like I said, have that outlet and that form of creative expression um, because maybe they're not getting it elsewhere. It, 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 it's those moments that make it all worth it, and it's why I started it in the first place. And I, I really could not ask for anything more than that. All right. Kevin? Uh, yeah, well, a little bit bouncing off of that is I would agree that I'm really accomplished a lot of my own goals as far as really kind of making people's day, and I give random messages for people I've never met who say, like, I'm in London and I have this hour and a half commute and your podcast helps me go through it quicker and that's just always really touched a real big part of why I do it. I would like to get to a point where I can honestly just do this like full time if possible and maybe just combine that with Gold Derby, make that more full time and just kind of keep living the dream of just talking about movies. And that's what I love to do. Outstanding, Joey. I want a fucking Oscar. <laughs> Like, I don't like. I don't care how that sounds. Like, I want a goddamn Oscar. Like, everyone's like, "Oh, this, this," like being humble, and I'm just like, "Fuck that!" Like, I want a goddamn Academy we've, Award. We've gone, we've gone from the ultimate humility to yeah, the ultimate not. Basically, in 2008. <laughs> Wait, right? Like, it's funny because in my, in my eighth grade superlative, I was voted in the class most likely to win an Oscar. So I can't let these people down, right? But uh, I don't care, right? Right. So they had me in, I remember they had me for winning Best Director, which I don't think I would ever direct now, but like, I don't care if it's directing, writing, or acting. Like, I want a goddamn Oscar. So that's my answer. Again, the ultimate humility, the <laughs> ultimate lack of it. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, back, back, uh, back going around. Uh, if you could uh, name one uh, quote unquote diva legend, living or dead, who would you go to drinks with? And Cody, uh, we'll start with you again. One more time. So, if you could have uh, drinks with one legendary "quote unquote" diva from the film industry, who would you want to have drinks with? Cody, started with you. Oh boy. Okay. Um, hmm. I I might need to get. I might need to come back to this. Like, can we circle back around? <laughs> you, 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 you want to pass? Roll with that thing. Yeah. Okay, Andrew. Can you uh, think of someone? So the the question is, if we could have lunch with a diva, or drink, drinks with alive, drinks yeah. with a diva dead or alive, who would you want to have drinks with? So I, for me, and I suspect that uh, Kevin would agree, uh, Shelley Winters. Oh my oh. god! Can you <laughs> because she she got around back in the day, and she was with a lot of the hottest Hollywood leading men, and she was roommates with Elizabeth Taylor and Marilyn Monroe and all, all this stuff is in her books, but I would just love to have been able to sit down with her over a few drinks 
just, you know, talk about the old days, uh, you know. I think, I mean, I <laughs> I hate to even bring her up because she's so terrible now, but when um, Roseanne was on um, Inside the Actors Studio, mm-hmm. she talked about how Shelley Winters, when she was on Roseanne, she played Roseanne's grandma, and Shelley Winters would always talk to Roseanne about uh, who was that guy slept with the night the war ended. (laughs) 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 I suspect that she just just would have so many stories. And all all the talk shows in the late 80s, early 90s, she was on like Sally Jessica with Raphael and um, uh, Phil Donahue, and she would just talk about her nights with Marlon Brando, Charlton Heston, et cetera. And I'm sure she has so many more. You know, Andrew, I was surprised you didn't choose Sally Kirkland, to be honest with you. <laughs> I love Sally. I have, I have Sally on my cell phone um, in, in, in my contacts because I have spoken with her because when I wrote an article for Cold Derby about her, I, of course, received a message about five minutes later from her assistant who told me how much she adored it and how she needed to speak with me immediately. Um, so that was quite an honor. So I've already spoken with that that diva, so I'd like to go back in time and speak with uh, her godmother, Shelly Winters. <laughs> That's awesome. Well done. Matt, Matt, who would be the diva you'd want to have drinks with? You you have any idea how ridiculously hard of a question this is, by the way? <laughs> this is, like, insane. This isn't uh, softball. There are so many possibilities. Even, even living, I'm like, uh, 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 I don't know, uh, Francis McDormand? Like, you know, it's like, I who was like basically? Who, by the way, is like the most undiva person because like, she's just so <laughs> she's just so real. Um, oh man, this is hard. I would let you know. Jessica Lang would be fun. Ooh, yes. that would be that would, that would be a, that would be a, a blast. I feel. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, honestly, I gotta go. I gotta go with the. Uh, I, I gotta go probably with Catherine Hepburn. I, I would. I would love. Love, 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 love to just do a kind of like a chronological like walkthrough uh, of all of those nominations and like just get like a kind of like a tell-all like in-depth uh, interview. Uh, oh my god, I would just like I would love it. Okay, Kevin. Well, I think we all know my answer, which is Glenn Close. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would just, I mean, come on, like we would just have a ball. We're both from New England. We could just, yeah, we can relate to a lot of things, I think, and I could <laughs> get her honest opinion on uh, some of those Oscar losses. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> All right. And kind of tying into that, Olivia Coleman would be so much fun to just have a conversation with about anything, just for the yeah. record. <laughs> that entire Best Actress lineup would be amazing. With McCarthy, Lady Gaga, Jelly Saparicio, why not? Just... All of them. <laughs> okay, Joey, and then we're coming back to you, Cody. So I think, like, my initial... Oh, yes. <laughs> my initial reaction to that instantly was uh, Bette Midler, but the more that I'm, like, thinking about it... Now, not only would I want to have drinks with her, but I want her with drinks with her in her, this character would be Elizabeth Taylor, uh, her Virginia Woolf character. I think would be so amazing to sit down and have drinks with. Plus two, we all know Liz Taylor was an infamous fag hag and I would be treated like goddamn royalty around there. So a hundred percent Liz Taylor. All right. Cody, do we give you enough time? 
Yeah. Uh, okay. So it's a gay cliche, but I mean, it's freaking Streisand. Like, who wouldn't want to sit down with somebody who's had the ups and downs of Hollywood at their beck and call for the better part of half of a century? I grew up in a really um, anti-Streisand house, if that's even a, a, a typical thing. So I know, I know. Heaven for fed. So. so <laughs> So, so in my mind, I have this weird gut negative reaction to her, but I can't help but you know, I, but I love her obviously. So she's such a fun dichotomy in my head, you know, the duality of men who love divas, and I just think getting to hear the endless stories and the uh, you know the anecdotes and see whatever weird concoction she orders for lunch. I mean, I can't imagine a better day. Side note, because of Streisand, really quick, I have to bring up from our bonus 1968 episode, Andrew, your goddamn tweet towards us, where it was like, I think I liked, uh, uh, what's her face, the mom, um, who's the actress from Funny Girl? I can't even remember her name right now. The, Kay Medford? Yeah, Medford. where I was like, I think I like Kay Medford more than Streisand, and you texted me like, What? Like that was, I was at work when I when I got that, and I was dying. So thank you for that bout of humor there. But I stand I by that. I will stand by on. that. All right. All right. Wait, what do you say? <laughs> Can you repeat that? What did you say? What did I say? Yeah. Oh, I, I still find it very odd. I must say. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll stick with it. <laughs> All right, we're gonna go like back, back around again, and this time we're starting with you again, Cody. Um, what is a movie you know that you're in a m- minority because you absolutely loathe it? Sorry, can you read that one more time? Sure. What is a movie that you absolutely loathe, but you know you're in a minority for lo- for hating it? Oh, a movie that I loathe. Yes. Oh boy. But okay. Um, this this is a very um, like amateur answer because I um, haven't seen it in years, but I really cannot freaking stand a Clockwork Orange. I find it and I and I love Kubrick, but I find it to be just an exercise in um, depravity and excess. And I know I know that is the point of the movie. I understand, but I don't want to be watching that. That's not something I want to have in front of my eyeballs. I'm not the character with my eyes can know, but I don't have to be seeing this. I just find it to be completely, it, it accomplishes its goals in a way that I don't have any interest in viewing. That's my, my go-to answer for my least favorite movie, generally, is A Clockwork Orange. Okay. Um, Andrew, a movie that you know you're a minority, but you absolutely loathe it. Boy, that's tough. Um, I, I just watched a film for a podcast I'm about to... Uh, <laughs> with somebody else on this panel that I really dislike, uh, but uh, I don't think it'd be quite that low. Um, but I'm trying to think of a more creative answer. I-, I would say, you know, a lot of the films, the likes of Gandhi and Out of Africa, just to throw out some Best Picture winners, that I really just cannot stand. They're total sleeping pills. Even the acting, I don't, although Ben Kingsley's fine, even, I mean, there's just nothing for me to grab onto in films like those. So, I mean, just thinking to, you know, films that have their admirers that I just find 
really rather insufferable. Um, that's a pair that, that stands out to me. I, I can't fathom I'd ever revisit them, particularly given their excessive length. Um, so, yeah, in terms of films that have a great deal of acclaim, but not my heart at all, that's, that's a pair for sure. All right. Matt? So I'm actually going to say a movie that is actually bad. Uh, <laughs> no offense to the others who just came before me. Uh, um, I, no you know, I... All right. <laughs> I love you, Cody. Um, I've been on record of saying this before, um, and, and it's probably changed maybe since, um, but for the life of me, just right now, off the top of my head, I can't think of uh, the film that has supplanted it. So it's my go-to answer for representing everything I hate about Hollywood. Um, and that is Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Uh, it's a, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> it's a sequel. It is a bloated sequel. It has this childish, immature humor that is not funny whatsoever. Uh, it's got awful dialogue, incoherent action. Like, that movie is just everything. It just checks off all the boxes of, like, this is the stuff that Hollywood thinks is good and that we're going to absolutely love, but it has absolutely nothing of substance whatsoever to latch on to. You know, Matt, I'm going to co-sign that. That might actually be the absolute worst film I've ever seen. So two for that one, two votes for that movie. All right. <laughs> so so was, that, was, that, was that Kevin? Cause you're good. No, you're that nice. was Matt. I was, okay. Okay. It was someone responding to Matt. Kevin, uh, your movie you loathe that you know you're in a minority for saying so. Uh, well, I know that a few people on here just did a podcast about this, but I really despise The Revenant. <laughs> oh, I second that one. I will second that one. <laughs> a completely slog. Oh my God, Kevin, we agree. Sound and fury signifying nothing. Period. <laughs> Sorry, I just can't. I can't do it. I actually haven't seen Thanks it yet. Plug, Kevin, Andrew's sort of you about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, why people like it, I just can't. I can't even handle it. Kevin, we agreed on that. <laughs> and, can you, you believe? Know, at least you can acknowledge that you uh, acknowledge that people like you understand why people like it. And that's all that matters, you know. Yeah, I get it. At least you're not actually, it. I just don't get it emotionally. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely understand that. Yeah. All right. But as far as films, I just love in particular. I just wanted to throw out the Human Centipede because <laughs> oh god, that, yeah. I saw that with a friend who I no longer associate with from high school, <laughs> and he showed it to me, and I was like, okay, well, great. <laughs> Where do we go from here? It's supposed to be a movie that you're in a minority for a little thing, and I don't think you'd be in a minority there, <laughs> Joey. Uh I know I'm the only one on this panel who doesn't like this, and it's just the freshest because it's from last year, but I literally hate Roma. It was literally one of, oh my God. It was one of the worst <laughs> movies I think I've ever seen. Um, I don't get the love for it. Um, I'll, I'll give it cinematography, yes, like that was beautiful, but it is one of the most Razzie-worthy pictures I've ever seen, and the love for this thing, I just don't understand it. There's no story, the plot is water thin, the acting isn't even that great, and I have, um, one of my best friends is, her dad is from Mexico and her mom is from Peru, and I watched this with all of them, and he grew up in Mexico at that time, and he's like, nothing of this resembles Mexico at that time. 
So it just felt like friends got together over a weekend and were like, we're going to shoot this home video and release it. And boggles my mind that it was this huge hit because it was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh, I'm going to chime in and say... I'm say for the record that when that film came out, I remember thinking, I like this. However, what you just said was exactly how I imagined the rest of the world was going to view Roma. Like, <laughs> after film critics saw it at the festivals, I was like, when the whole world sees this on Netflix, they're all going to be like, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> this is yeah, it? This is what that. everybody's going nuts over? <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't, and, yeah, I, I don't get that it. Has held true. Am I, am I, was I right there with saying <laughs> that I'm the only one here who doesn't like it, though? No, no, you're not. Trust me. I know a lot of people who watched it. And, I, I, you know, something that I think is due to how much it was hype. Um, you know, Boyhood suffered, I think, a similar uh, fate in many ways. I don't like Boyhood either. But there you go. I, I, but I, I, I do think that, you know, I find this when I watch, like, older films. Uh, when I watch, uh, you know, classics. Uh, from the 50s or like foreign films like you know sometimes I go back and I watch something like by Tarkovsky and I'm like man everybody loves Tarkovsky let's watch you know Andre Rublev and I'm just like oh no I, I oh I can't I can't really get on board with this for two and a half hours <laughs> oh wait no it's over that it's like over three hours holy shit you know uh, this happens very frequently sometimes um, and I think you just have to be in the right I don't want to say the right headspace, but um, I, I think that I think it's an acquired taste. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little disappointed that nobody said Titanic. I consider Titanic to be the most overrated film ever made by far. <laughs> I've, I have people who despise me because of that stance, but I'm standing by it. All right. <laughs> um, last question before we uh, wrap things up here: um, If you could play anyone in a biopic, who would it be? And who would you want to uh, play you in your biopic? So, Cody. Who do I, I want to play myself in my biopic? If you could play someone in a biopic, who would it be? And who would if you I, want to play you? If I could play somebody in a biopic, oh boy. Okay, well, I've always, I have an easy answer for this. I, I've always been fascinated by Montgomery Clift and his, you know, short, tragic, queer life. I've, I've found that to be a heartbreaking story that I'm surprised hasn't been dramatized yet, and I've always wanted to tackle that myself, if possible. I mean, that's a, a very easy answer for me. Who would I want to play me in a biopic? Yes. Um, well, when I went to college, um, everybody thought I looked like Michael Sarah, and I didn't quite <laughs> take fondly to that. Um, so, definitely not Michael Sarah. Um, oh, boy. Um, in a perfect world, I would say, like, Oscar Isaac, even though um, I'm super white. But let's go with Oscar Isaac. Why not? Very good. <laughs> Shoot your shot. Andrew, who right. would you want to play you, and who would you want to play? Uh, well, I've been told by several people that apparently Brendan Fraser is playing me in my biopic, which uh, I'm not sure if I approve of. Um, Brendan Fraser. Oh, yeah. my God, that's I'd, I'd like to... I'd like to think so. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I 100% honestly was going to say Montgomery Clift as well. <laughs> um, but, Sorry. you know, I would, I know, I guess uh, maybe Cary Grant um, I would play okay. just yeah. because I think that a film, like a real film on him would be 
fascinating. Okay. Matt? I mean, this is a very difficult question to answer. Um, uh, of course, I want Daniel Day-Lewis to play me because who else, right? <laughs> uh, and, and as far as who I would play, <laughs> uh, I mean, listen, I, I've been told by a lot of people that, like, I have a very distinct personality, so it's like I can't imagine another actor like, being able to match it. So why not just choose a chameleon actor who can play anybody in anything? So. Scarlett Johansson it is. So I'm getting, I'm getting for it. <laughs> oh, boy. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> that, that's not going to get old uh, this award season, trust me. No, um, no. <laughs> um, as far as who I would like to play, I would love to play Paul Giamatti. And not even because of his life or anything like that, but just simply because I've been told by all my friends that I have a really, really sick Paul Giamatti impression. And I've done it at parties and stuff sometimes, and uh, it, it, go, it goes over very well. So that's the only the reason. The kids love it. I actually I met him uh, in person at a party, and I was so like I, I so badly wanted to do like a bit with him on video, um, but you know I, I, I wisely backed out of that decision and just you know. Away. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, Kevin? Um, well, I think Lucas Hedges would play me in a biopic. Oh, that's a good so one. My guess. And who would yeah, you want to play? Because he's a Sox boy, and so am I. <laughs> uh, and wow. as far as who I would play, I've never actually thought about that, so I'm just going to say Montgomery Cliff. Sounds <laughs> 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 yeah. like the guy to the guy to adapt right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and wrapping things. It's thing. amazing that it hasn't happened. Cody is right. <laughs> yeah, give me it, please. Give it to me. Very good, uh, Joey. Yeah, um, I want to play John Belushi. Um, there's there's been a Belushi biopic that's been in the works for a while now, and Emil Hirsch was attached until he decided to punch an, exe- an executive at Sundance a couple years ago. Um, so I 100% would throw my hat in that ring to play Belushi. I think that'd be fascinating. Um, who would I want to play me? I mean, I feel like, like Cam said in Modern Family, Meryl Streep could play Batman and be the right choice. Um, but on a serious note, I would probably say Jonah Hill. That would be a good choice for you. Yeah, I mean, Jonah Hill always plays these big personality characters. God knows I'm a big personality, so I feel like Jonah Hill would be a really good choice. Outstanding. Okay, so um, going around one more time, I just want to give everyone a chance to kind of promote, you know, what they're working on. So, Cody, what uh, talk about your show and what you'd like to promote? All right, yeah. So, I uh, actually am a writer and podcaster at Mass website, Nexus Picture. You can find all sorts of writings and audio ramblings that I've been a part of there. So, you know, definitely give us a look. And yeah, I have my own podcast called Halloweeners, a horror movie podcast, where my Really good friend Kira and I, we cover one horror movie of varying uh, time period, genre, types, quality per episode. You can find us everywhere. You can listen to podcasts. And we are on Twitter and Instagram at Pod, And follow me everywhere at CodyMonster91. Fantastic. Andrew? Plug away? Yep. So you can find me um, on Gold Derby. I'm a contributing writer over there. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Awards Connect. That's where I honestly do most of my writing these days. 
even if it's rather short. And then I have a blog, uh, The Awards Connection, uh, where you'll find uh, my latest predictions and so on. Uh, but definitely check out the Oscar flashback portion of my blog, as that's where I go back and look at old vintage Oscar races, whether it's all of the Meryl Streep Oscar years or Nicholson years, or me going back and reviewing all of the best original song categories, which was the very first project that I did for my blog. Fantastic. Uh, Matt? Uh, so as Cody said before, uh, the website's called nextbestpicture.com, where we are always, 365 days a year, as soon as the Oscars end, we're always looking to find out what is going to be the Next Best Picture Oscar winner. So we take a look at film all year long, whether it is a blockbuster documentary, a foreign language film, doesn't matter. Uh, everything has the chance to have Oscar potential. What does? We review uh, with written uh, reviews on the site, and we also do podcasts as well, uh, plus a you know a blog that everybody contributes to and uh, puts out some pretty uh, really phenomenal pieces and things pieces on uh, what's going on today. Um, very, very, very proud of it. Like I said before, it's uh, become this really, really great community of people that just want to express their love of all things cinema. And uh, we don't just do cinema. We also do television and theater, too, from time to time, which uh, has been a really, really cool expansion lately for us. Fantastic. Matt. I'm sorry, Kevin. Kevin. Yeah, well, you can find my writing at goldderby.com, and it's Emmy season right now, so I'm doing a lot of Emmy season writing and interviewing some stars that are nominated, so that's pretty exciting. And um, you can find my podcast, of course, and the runner-up is... Um, everywhere you can find podcasts. I talk about the best picture runner-up in any given Oscar year and talk about why it lost, why the winner won, and the entire context of the Oscars. So um, you can find the Twitter for that at Oscar Runner-Up if you want to follow that. I do a lot of fun rankings there. And, uh, yeah, it's doing a lot. <laughs> I just discovered that. <laughs> um, and you can find me on Twitter personally at Kevin underscore Jacobson and that's S-E-N not S-O-N sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) no it's fine I have to correct so many people on that go ahead and Joey well, of course, obviously you're listening to this episode of Academy Queens, so it's Brandon Stanwyck and myself, and it's your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade, per category. Uh, we break down, you know, the the winners, who should have won, who we think should have won, who shouldn't be there. You know, we like to spill tea, shade a little bit. Um, outside of that, uh, I am a traveling stand-up comic now. Um, I was just in Manhattan, San Francisco, San Sacramento, so if I ever have shows in your city, I'm always posting about it. Um, outside of that, I'm on any podcast where someone will have me and want to hear my big ass mouth talk. And outside of that, uh, at Joey Gentilly, 1992 is the personal Twitter. And then of course, at Academy Queens is the, uh, podcast Twitter page. Well, I want to thank everyone for uh, coming out and participating in this. Um, uh, listen, I'm the uh, co-host of the Whiskey Congress podcast, which is at Whiskey Congress on Instagram and Twitter. And our show is also available on, uh, on, um, all the Uh, podcast platforms. Um, I've enjoyed um, talking to you all. Have a great day. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to keep recording just for the hell of it, but we've got a break now. Um, Thanks again for coming on. Joe, you want to do a wrap-up? Yeah, guys. Thank you so much. I hope you guys had fun. Something different. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. 
great. Thanks, of course, of course. And then uh, for you, I know we've got uh, season three coming up. Um, so if I have talked to you, I will message you personally regarding that for scheduling. Um, outside of that, this episode will be a bonus episode in between season two and three. So I would say within the next five weeks, it'll be out because we're about to hit 86 on Monday. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you. All right. Yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This was almost like this was almost like therapy uh, from film Twitter. <laughs> so thank you so much for that. <laughs> yes, of course. And like I said, I will hit you guys up personally after this um, with just another thank you, and I'm sure Brandon will as well. But yeah, all right, guys. Talk to you later. Take care. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Bye. Bye.